Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. So we are getting close to the end of First and Second Thessalonians. For those of you that have been with us over the past few months, we've said that we've named this series Deliverance. And the reason we call it Deliverance is because in the first chapter, uh, the 10th verse of First uh, Thessalonians, it says that we look forward to the coming of Jesus Christ, who will deliver us from the wrath to come. And what we've seen in First and Second Thessalonians is there's a number of verses that talk about the prophetic return of Jesus Christ. And we've kind of gone through that. And you know that I always get excited when I talk about prophecy. It's just something that's always interested me and I love teaching it. Well, we're going to find today that these Thessalonians loved it so much that they were taking it a little bit too seriously, especially, especially when Paul said that the Lord could be coming uh, at any time. They decided, well, that was a good excuse to stop work. Let's just stay, stop home. Let's just stay home. Let's be idle. Let's just wait for him to come. Well, that was 2,000 years ago. So we're going to learn a little bit about that today. My message today has a unique title. It's the company you keep and the example you follow. And you'll, I think you'll find that this is an extremely practical sermon for what's going on in the United States today, especially today. So what we find is this, is that these, these two letters of Paul, um, actually, while it had a lot of prophecy, there was also a reason to his writing. He wanted to do a couple of things. He wanted to pray for them. He wanted to encourage them. He wanted to remind them of what he had already taught. But he also had to correct some misunderstandings. And we saw that in 1 Thessalonians. He had to correct some misunderstandings. You remember some of them thought that the day of the Lord had already come. And he had to kind of correct them again. And we're going to find here in 2 Thessalonians that he needs to remind them of some of the things he said. But he also needs to correct them. And he's going to be a little bit more forceful in his correction. Now, uh, again, the title of my message today is The Company You Keep, and we're going to be starting in 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 3, beginning in verse 6. And this is what it says. Paul says, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, it's an interesting word, isn't it? We command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you yourself know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we did not have the right for such help, but in order to offer your, ourselves as a model for you to imitate. So Paul wanted to be a role model for them. Paul mentions this a couple of times in his writings, that, that he worked hard. He worked hard for his, his, uh, his ministry. Did you know that today in the United States, in the United States, um, because I'm a pastor, I've been following this for a number of years, the average pastor's salary is around $40,000, $45,000. That's what the average pastor makes. Now remember, the average pastor typically has a wife, three children, and has advanced degrees, and they make about $45,000 a year. About 60% of all people that consider themselves pastors, that pastor a church. Sometimes they're called pastors, sometimes they're called bishop, whatever they're called. About 60% of them are bivocational. 
they work outside the house, just as, just, or outside the church. Just as, just as Paul was a tent maker, uh, they work at different places. One of the stories I tell, a true story, is that my wife, uh, when, I, when we were in Nashville and I was pastoring uh, the Life, Life Church, uh, Craig Groeschel's church, and I was the pastor there in, in Nashville, Tennessee, my wife took a job at Target. And she had worked retail for a number of years before. She loves uh, working retail. And she got a job and ended up in the HR department and for a while ran the HR department. Now, she's the first one to tell you that she didn't hire or fire anybody. That was always the manager's job. Uh, but she pu pushed a lot of paperwork, okay? There was like 250 employees, so there was a lot of paperwork with 250 employees. Well, one of the things that was interesting was that Target has 24-hour uh, shifts. So they have a group of people that come in in the middle of the night to unload the trucks. And all they, they work in the middle of the night unloading the trucks and stocking the shelves so that when you get there at 9 o'clock in the morning, the shelves are all, all fresh. Well, some of the people found out that she was hiring Christian pastors for those jobs. They ended up having five and six pastors in the area that worked that shift because Carol was sympathetic to them as well and found them that with that opportunity. So they just enjoyed themselves working in the middle of the night, but it allowed them then on Sunday and during the week to be able to be available to their congregation. And that's a bivocational. So that's, that's where Paul's coming from. That's why he's reminding them of this. But he's saying that we want to make sure you're still on track. Understand that you're supposed to stay away from people that are idle, that are busybodies. So this is a lesson that we need today. I, re I really believe that this is a lesson that we need today. You know, right now there's a lot of free things, and there's a lot of free things in the United States. And there's many people that feel like the Apostle Paul would, that these free things are not necessarily good. You know, free phones, free transportation, free housing, free education, free health care, free food, and even a free vacation. I mean, everybody needs to go to Disney World, right? that all of these things, when they're free and they're not earned, are not necessarily healthy. In fact, what the Bible says is that free phones, transportation, education, healthcare, food, and vacations are detrimental to your physical and your spiritual health. They're detrimental. You, you need to sometimes work. You need to be productive. God has a purpose for you, and he wants you to, to be working. So we see in the scripture today that Paul is writing the second letter because there had been some misunderstandings. He wanted to clarify one of his teachings. And, and one of them is this idea of the second coming of Jesus Christ, the second coming of Jesus Christ. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But he wants to confront this idea of, of idleness, this idleness. So, oh, by the way, I gotta, <clears throat> when I was putting this together, it was interesting. One of the things I remembered is that going back about almost 40 years ago, uh, my wife and I, we were just young parents. We had kids that were maybe three and four years old at the time. And the pastor asked us if we would take on one of the Sunday school, one of the Sunday school classes. Some of the first one we ever, we ever taught. Um, and we were going to do uh, James Dobson's Dare to Discipline. Do you remember that book, Dare to Discipline? There's been a new book that's come out that's actually taken some of the material from the first book out because it was a little controversial. Well, as, as we started teaching this, this class, it was easy to teach because there was already a book that was prepared for us. We just had to take people through the lessons. And as Carol and I are looking at this, remember our kids are about three and four years old, and John, James Dobson's talking about the things you need to do that are instrumental in your child's well, development at six months old, at nine months old, at a year and a half, at two years old. And my wife and I looked at each other and we said, oh my goodness, we've blown it. You know, 
we've broken our children, you know, <laughs> because we needed this book a year and a half, three years ago. But, but aren't you glad? I mean, God is able to take even, the, even our refuge and make something out of it because our kids turned out just, just fine. But that was interesting because I was putting this together. I remembered uh, James Dobson's book, Dare to Discipline, and it was talking about this verse, about the company you keep. As, as parents, as parents, you know what it was like trying to make sure that your children uh, associated with the good crowd, right? With the good crowd. You wanted to make sure that your daughters especially, but your sons as well, uh, stayed away from boys and girls that would be detrimental, that would lead them down the wrong path. And, and remember, the Bible has, has much to say about this. The Thessalonian church had struggled with several problems. And, and one of the problems was going to, back to Paul's teaching on the second coming of Jesus Christ. Because the second coming of Jesus Christ, Paul said, was imminent. And we'll talk about that in a minute. If you remember the teaching in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul said this. He said, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive shall re uh, and remain shall be caught up together with the Lord uh, to be with the Lord and will forever be with the Lord. So that's, that's Paul's teaching. So here is the issue, is that just because it's eminent doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to happen at any given time. Um, the Thessalonians need to understand that just because the Lord's coming is eminent, okay, that it could happen at any time, that will happen suddenly, doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to happen soon. So the people were taking off their jobs. They decided they'd just sit around. There's no reason to work if the Lord is coming back. We're just going to enjoy life. Well, scholars believe that many of the Thessalonians were idle because of this, because of this. At, at the same time, Paul talks about them being disruptive, about them being busybodies. And I don't think people that are waiting for the coming of the Lord are necessarily busybodies or disruptive. Uh, they're just a little misguided, a little misguided. So we need to understand that just because the Lord's coming is imminent, meaning there's nothing that has to happen before it happens, doesn't mean that it's going to happen soon. Now, if you want to talk after the sermon, I can tell you I think it's going to happen really soon. But again, we don't need to take off work. We need to be busy and industrious until he does come. So there's, there's a couple, two, there's two problems that Paul actually wants to address. One is that while the return of the Savior is imminent, um, um, we don't want to stop working because of that. But the second problem that he addresses is idleness itself. See, idleness leads to our undoing. These people had so much time on their hands that they were meddling in others' affairs. We'll talk about that next week, uh, verse 11. They were causing problems rather than living quiet lives and providing for their families. That's, again, next week, verse 12. So Paul's very clear about this problem, and he makes it a command. So as we said again, it says, Paul says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you. You probably thought there were only 10 commandments. <laughs> no, not at all. The Bible is full of commandments, things that you need to do. A command is like a military order. It's like the general giving you a command. You're not to question it. You're supposed to carry it out. And if you don't, it's for your, at your own peril. That doesn't mean you're going to lose your salvation. That doesn't mean that the Lord doesn't love you. It means these commands are for your benefit and the benefit of the church. Paul says, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. 
Now, Paul had mentioned this before in 1 Thessalonians. He had basically said almost the same thing. But don't you know that sometimes you got to say things a couple of times in order for people to understand it. The first letter he thought he wrote, but the people were still being idle. There were still way too many people that were, uh, uh, were not working. Now, Paul is not talking about people that are retired, people that have worked all of their life and been able now to enjoy. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? I'm glad. I'm glad. He's not talking about people that are retired. You've paid your dues. You've worked hard all your life. I mean, quite frankly, I mean, and I'm still working. I mean, David Cash always says I'm retired. I'm not, I'm not retired, David, okay? I've got this job. I run a finance company. I'm still working, okay? But aren't you, aren't you glad that there's a time when you can kind of slow down a little bit? My wife and I look at the things that we used to do back when we were in our 30s and 40s, and we scratch our head. We can't figure out how we possibly had all of the energy to do all of those things and still be able to, to get by and be able to, to enjoy life somehow. So it's, there's a natural progression in your life where you have your peak earning powers and you're and, and you're, you're, you're making a living, you're putting bread on the table, you're doing all the things you need to do, and eventually you can slow down and retire. That's not what Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about people that are just idle. And I found an article I thought you would love. I'm not going to quote the whole article, but I love this picture. It's called The Zombie Epidemic of Idle Men. <laughs> the Look at this guy, okay? Actually looks my, like my brother-in-law. So, so the, the couch potato, right? Now... There's some interesting quotes in the article. I'm, just going to give, I'm not going to read the whole article, just a few quotes. It says, while unemployment has gone down, the work participation rate, and especially the male work rate, has been relentlessly declining for most in the World War, uh, after World War II. And not only that, but it's actually doubled in the last couple of years since the pandemic. One-sixth of all men of prime working age in America, men between 25 and 54, are not just unemployed, but have stopped looking for jobs altogether. And it's not because the jobs aren't available, they just don't want to work. Now this is a time bomb with far-reaching economic, social, and political consequences. Never before in American history have so many men done absolutely nothing. Nearly half of the men who are not looking for work are on painkillers and many are disabled. Do you know some people that are disabled? I mean, the thing is, is that if you're disabled, there's opportunities for you. Aren't you glad that the government and social services and your insurance companies provide things for you and compensation for you and healthcare for you? But there are many people that claim to be disabled in order to receive something for nothing. These people experience notably low levels of emotional well-being throughout their lives. They derive relatively little meaning from their daily activities, and there's over 10 million of them, 10 million of them in the United States. Now, what do they do with their time? Do they learn French? Do they paint watercolors? Do they help at a local nursing home or volunteer? volunteer? No. They spend less time and volunteer in religious activities than any other measurable group, any other group. Now, they have time on their hands, but they do nothing with it. They don't read. They don't vote, and I'm thankful for that. And a third of the men have used illegal drugs in the past year. To a distressing degree, these men appear to have relinquished what we think of ordinarily adult responsibilities, such as being a breadwinner, or being a good citizen, or a good community member, or being a family member. They have largely freed themselves of any obligations. They fill their days in pursuit of nothing more than their own gratification. How do they support themselves? Mm -hmm. They don't. You do. Yes. You do. So it's interesting, isn't it? 
that, that and, and I think many of us already knew that. I didn't, we don't have to bring that up with that article because we see it around us. And not only that, the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that idleness is not good. Paul tells us, be careful of the company you keep in the activities that you follow. Be careful of those people that are idle because they'll bring you down with them, okay? And not only that, you will end up being, you will provide for them. The scriptures tell us that idleness is actually a sin, and the Bible warns us about the company we keep. That's our sermon title today. Be careful of the people you, the company you keep and the activities that you observe, the examples you follow. I love, you know, the Bible, you ever use the acronym B-I-B-L-E, the basic instructions before leaving earth? I love that, B-I-B-L-E, the basic instructions before leaving earth. So the Bible covers all of these activities. The Bible is a very practical book. It's for our benefit, and it tells us we need, to, we need to work. We need to be productive, that God has a plan for your life. He's given you spiritual gifts. That's what our stewardship verse was. He's given you all these different gifts, and the gifts are, are to be used for the benefit, actually, of others. Just a few scriptures come to mind when we think about idleness and the examples. In Psalm 1, this was, in fact, it was right after the adoption when my wife and I realized that, that we had already broken our children, that we decided at a minimum they had to at least learn scripture. And one of the first scriptures they learned was Psalm 1. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor seats in the seat of scoffers, the company they keep. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Be careful of the company you keep. In 1 Corinthians, Paul said, do not be deceived, bad company ruins good morals. Bad company ruins good morals. In, um, in 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Often we use this for the idea of marriage. Um, could you bring a chair in the back, David? Um, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light and darkness? And again, we often use this for, for marriage. Don't be unequally yoked. But it also applies with our everyday company. Be careful of who you're yoked with. Be careful of the company that you keep. So let's go on. Verse 7. Paul says, he says, for you yourself know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day laboring and toiling so that you would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right for such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. You know, Paul says that hard work is not to be avoided. It's not to be avoided. It's supposed to be embraced. The idea is get used to hard work because it's in the hard work of life that you actually learn lessons. You actually are benefiting yourself. You're, you're learning things that you, you need to learn. Notice that in these verses, Paul doesn't say that pastors, apostles, people that work in ministry are not entitled to be paid for ministry. That's not what he says. Okay. In fact, Paul will tell us that later when he writes to the Corinthians, he says exactly the, that, that same thing. He says that the workers are entitled to their wages. Paul says, don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us as do the other apostles and the Lord's brother and Cephas? If others have this right to support, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, put up with everything rather than hinder the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
So Paul is saying exactly the same thing. He's, he's, saying, he's saying we have this right, but we've choose, chosen not to for two reasons. One is not to hinder the church, not to hinder the church, make it difficult. You know, one of the most expensive things that a church has is to pay for their pastor. Aren't you glad you don't have to do that? I mean, yeah. Thank you for the motor company, right? Thank you for Social Security. Thank you for other opportunities. You don't have to. That's not a burden. Quite frankly, our, uh, most of the funds that, that come in uh, pay for the things that you get to see, the music we have, the, the worship leaders, those types of things. We like, they're, they're very worthy of their wage. They, they're going to practice. They're going to take their time. Uh, we also pay for the licenses. A lot of churches don't pay for licenses. We pay for all the licenses, for all the music uh, that you sing. So those are the things. We're not burdened. So Paul's saying we don't want to be a burden on the church, but we have the right to it. We have the right to it. So that's what Paul's saying. So let's recap, all right, recap the examples that Paul said. Four lessons for today. Paul said this. He said, number one, that work is good. There's an intrinsic value to work. It's good to work. There's something that's something meaningful. When you work a hard work day and you come home from work, you feel that you've accomplished something. You've, you've accomplished something. Getting a regular paycheck, being able to provide for yourself and your family, learning a trade, feeling a sense of accomplishment and a job well done are not only society positives, but they're also positives for you as well. Number two, families, particularly growing up with a mother and father, is the best way to learn how to be honest, productive, and moral. We thank God that despite growing up in one-parent households, and without positive role models, many are able to be very successful. The, the statistics, the statistics on children that grow up in one family homes, if you've ever tried to look them up, they're, they're amazing. I mean, they're four times more likely, single family homes, single family homes are four times more likely to be in poverty. Um, we've seen what's happened to the inner cities. The more welfare and the most, more social funding and most social arrangements we've given some of the inner cities, poverty has not only increased, but our children are no longer graduating from high school, let alone college. Uh, they're much more likely, men are much more likely to end up in prison. Women are much more likely to be pregnant. The vast majority of children growing up in the inner cities are coming, 70% are, are in single family homes, 70%. Single parent, I'm sorry. I said, I said single, single parent, single family. Single, single parent, thank you, David. Single parent homes, okay? And often, it's the mother that's raising the child, not the father. Children without fathers are also having difficulties, but most of our single parent homes, thank you, David, our single parent homes are mothers trying to raise their children. And it's been a disaster. It's been a disaster for these people. Now, like I said, they're much more likely not to, not to do well. They're much more likely to be in poverty. So one of the things that family... Bible says this, that family, particularly growing up with a mother and a father, is the best way to learn how to be honest, productive, and moral. Now, we thank God that God is able to take broken children like mine were at three and four years old, okay, and still do something with them. We've got some great examples. Uh, you're familiar with Dr. Ben Carson. Uh, Dr. Ben Carson grew up in Detroit, not too far from where my wife and I uh, raised our family. Not too far, but it was on the other side of the tracks. It was a very difficult area to grow up in. He grew up in a single-parent family, okay, but he did well. He always had a desire to do well in school. He ended up going to medical school, went to Johns Hopkins, became the head of neurosurgery, okay? That's 
pretty big. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. But God is able to do that despite sometimes the shortcomings, okay? Then Ben Carson ended up running for president, uh, was the uh, Secretary for Health, Education, and Welfare under Donald Trump. Another example, Dolly Parton. Dolly Parton grew up in Tennessee in a very, very poor family. Did very, very well. Uh, basketball star Larry Bird, one of my favorite people. Larry Bird uh, grew up in Indiana, outside of, I think it was Gary, Indiana, in a very, you know, one family, uh, one parent home, just his mother. Um, didn't have a father, did very well, not only academically, but became one of NBA's all-time stars. The third thing is idleness. Idleness leads to anxiety, depression, poor decisions, poverty, and immorality. The, the statistics are there and the Bible says the same. The Bible is clear that we need to stay away from those that are determined to be idle and find company in their idleness. Plus, they are going to bring you down with them. They've got to sponge off of somebody. No, God is so good. God has provided everything that we need. Our, even our scripture verse today said that God has given us a variety of, of gifts. Uh, use those gifts wisely. Use those gifts wisely. Encourage your children, your grandchildren, to stay productive, to find meaningful careers, to be able to apply themselves. They don't need to be like this, this couch potato we saw earlier. Uh, God wants you to be productive. He has important work for you to do, and we need to be able to live up to it. The way that God meets our needs is often through our own diligence, through our own effort, and through our own industriousness. We'll find out next week, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. So that's next week's sermon as well. So let's pray. So Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, for this, this lesson. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.